Defense Matters, a podcast about defense, technology, and the power of that movement. An Israel Defense production in association with IAI. Hello, and welcome to Defense Matters, a podcast about all matters of defense and why they matter. I'm your host, Aaron Heller, and I hope you're enjoying our journey as we delve into all matters of security, technology, military and strategic affairs, and so much more. Each episode, we dive into a different theme and analyze it with a featured guest. We also take a brief glimpse into the future with our Game Changer Corner. When we look at the future battlefield and the technologies, that'll make that happen. A quick note before we get started, we're available on a variety of outlets. We're on Spotify, on YouTube, on Anchor, Apple. So wherever you get your podcasts, please like, subscribe, and follow us. Uh, wherever you get your podcast. Now, let's jump right into episode seven. Uh, last time we talked about President Biden's upcoming visit to Israel and all the ramifications of that. Today, we're going to focus on the other destination for Biden, Saudi Arabia. It's the kingpin of the recent uh, improvement with Israel and its Arab neighbors. And the Abraham Accords have gotten it closer to the UAE, to Bahrain, to Morocco and others. But looming over it all is Saudi Arabia, the big regional force here. Um, there's a lot of history to unpack um, and everyone's waiting to see how that will evolve into perhaps full normalization. So to discuss that and a whole lot more, I'm really glad to be joined today by Uzi Rabi, an expert on Saudi Arabia and director of the Moshedan Center for Middle Eastern and African Studies. Welcome. Pleased to be here. Thank you. Thank you, Uzi. So let's jump right into it. Let's talk about Saudi Arabia. It is the big player here. It's always sort of like in the background with all these other things. Uh, before we get into the questions, can you tell us just a little bit about its history, its traditional role in the Middle East, and how things have sort of started to change regarding Israel? Well, I think that uh, this is uh, definitely a state that has become very, very uh, imperative when it comes to the geopolitical uh, uh, situation or arena in the Middle East, uh, mainly in the recent decades. Basically, it was uh, founded uh, in 1932 by uh, Ibn Saud. This was the name he was depicted by, by many uh, analysts, Western analysts. And he was the founder of the state. Uh, this is a state where you have a similarity between the name of the state and the name of the family. Uh, Saudi Arabia is ruled by the Saudi family. And uh, this is kind of a kingdom which uh, was for a long uh, uh, period, I would say, in the sidelines of the Arab politics in the region. We were, uh, or we had had the giants like Egypt of Nasser and others who uh, dictated the rhythm when it comes to uh, Middle Eastern geopolitics. But when oil came to the fore and Saudi Arabia was to become actually the... Uh, one of the greatest, if not the greatest, actually, uh, producer of uh, oil uh, uh, barrels and uh, one of the main main states when it comes to the uh, exportation of oil uh, to the outer world. It has become very, very dominant when it comes to the geoeconomic uh, uh, conditions of this region. Thereafter, we have actually to emphasize its symbolic a role when it comes to Islam, Mecca and Medina, uh, actually the main destination of many, many uh, uh, millions of uh, Muslim pilgrims. Uh, year by year, actually, they are, of course, visiting Saudi Arabia, and the whole uh, notion of 
the guardian of the holy sites when it comes to Mecca and Medina this is another title that every Saudi king is uh, is wrapped up by I mean uh, this is something which is very important now what we got here recently is kind of a real change why at a certain stage the Middle East become an arena of perils and threats for the kingdom on the one hand this is the animosity with the Shiites and the Persians and the Persians something that comes from times immemorial Saudi Arabia and Iran uh, just uh, uh, you know uh, in a picturesque way I would say that these are both ends of the Middle Eastern spectrum second you got uh, of course lunatics uh, like ISIS and Al-Qaeda which became uh, something which of great menace to Saudi Arabia and the third thing is Muslim Brothers all these uh, uh, forces were to uh, get sort of a momentum in the post-Arab spring period and this by itself made the Saudis come up with something which is no less than a U-turn when it comes to Middle Eastern geopolitics especially as from 2017 a new guy came to town so to speak his name is Muhammad he is the son of Salman the king so Muhammad bin Salman MBS, MBS in yeah. English of course yeah. and this guy came up with something which is not only fresh when it comes to Saudi Arabia and Middle Eastern geopolitics but on top of that he came up with a different set of priorities well we're gonna get to that I got questions about MBS got a question about Saudi Arabia first let's just talk about the approach to Israel historically they're hostile to Israel as all are but things have changed in recent years and the conventional wisdom is that it's all about Iran it's the conventional wisdom Iran is a threat to everyone so my you know my enemy's enemy is now my friend is it just that or is there more to no it? it's not just that uh, partially it's true uh, just uh, I think that this is something which is very important what you just said Saudi Arabia basically is a very anti-Israel I would, I would say anti-Jewish state and origin when it comes to the founder Ibn Saud the grand the, the, the founder I mean with the passage of time Saudi Arabia has become a kind of a pro Western pillar in the region and this whole thing actually was to be built up on kind of a pact between America US and Saudi Arabia it was concocted by uh, uh, Kissinger the then uh, uh, foreign minister of the US and uh, basically that was the deal we are going actually to make sure that prices capacities and stuff which related to, is related to oil industry is going to be carefully kept in accordance with the western world or the free world interest you are going actually to make sure that in times of crisis you are going actually to become our patron as was the case in 1990 let me remind you when Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait the Americans rushed in and they rescued actually not only Saudi Arabia but other Gulf states that was the deal what was changed is that America changed its priorities and basically when we are trying to understand what happened in the back of mind of the Saudis they got uh, feared or became afraid of a certain geopolitical uh, development here 
by which the U.S. of America is having kind of a different set of priorities when it comes to the Middle East. The Middle East is of secondary importance. That meant for the Saudis, as well as other pro-Western states in the region, that in time of crisis, you cannot count on the Americans to do the same. Well, it's interesting. So it's ironic. You used to think that, you know, Israel's interests here were based on the American ones. But ironically, because America is less here, then Saudis are saying, you know, maybe we should look to Israel as a potential ally. Exactly. Exactly. This is, uh, this is uh, the bottom line was that we should, Saudis, we should be proactive. We should find out some other elements or mechanisms by which to better uh, our situation and the road was there and it was taken by Mohammed bin Salman that said loud and clear uh, and there was kind of an article he came up with Israel is not our enemy and if Israel actually should be looked at in a different way it could become kind of a very very uh, I would say efficient partner when it comes to bilateral scale and multilateral scale now, bilateral scale, we have a lot to do with Saudi Arabia, and basically beneath the radar, a lot of things are being done when it comes to cyber technology, new technology, economy at large, trade, etc. When it comes to geopolitics, yes, you are right. Iran is there, definitely. And you can actually practice the art of my enemy's enemy can be my friend. But if I would stop here, it would be uh, too belittle what's going on. It is no less than a revolution when it comes to the ge geopolitical landscape of the Middle East. Saudi Arabia is trying to capitalize on the new situation in order to consider or persuade the United States to support kind of a realignment, regional realignment, where pro-Western states like Israel, Saudi Arabia and others are going to realign them, themselves uh, under the title of, I would say, kind of a defensive shield. Well, let me ask you that because that's exactly my next question about people are talking about this regional defense pact, what they're calling a Mideast NATO. I'm sure you've heard that term around there. Is that a real thing? Is that something that really we can imagine, Na like a defense pact yeah, between NATO, the regional NATO is a far-fetched uh, uh, phenomenon or notion because, uh, you know, NATO, let's just actually activate or practice Article 5 of, of NATO chart. I mean, we would find actually that states are uh, basically, uh, uh, while becoming part and parcel of this, you know, agreement, they are being protected by the others in case they are being attacked by somebody. I don't think that we have got there. But if you uh, uh, notice uh, what Iran is doing in the Middle East, and Iranian proxies in Yemen, in Lebanon, etc., are being equipped with, uh, you know, drones and all that stuff, uh, uh, or cruise missiles or whatever. Uh, what Israel and Saudi Arabia, I think, actually, accordingly, or, or in, in kind of a, a prior accommodation, are coming up with, together with Egypt and other states, is let us build up sort of, a, I would say, a defense uh, ally, uh, uh, alliance which would equip every partner with the abilities to preempt or prevent uh, like the threats uh, like Iran actually to uh, to send let's say a uh, kind of uh, 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 some some aerial threats to either 
one of these gatherings. So there's a lot of these things going on here, as you're mentioning, and it sounds pretty revolutionary, but I think the main thing you mentioned was below the radar. Most of these things are still happening sort of a low profile, and obviously everybody's looking forward to seeing, you know, when will there be full normalization, like there is with UAE, like there is with Bahrain, Morocco. So in essence, what's holding Saudi Arabia back? What are they not well, willing to do I that said, last as I said, yeah. as I said before, the, the, one, the, the guy who runs the show is just uh, an heir. He's not the king yet. Uh, and uh, I think, I tend to think that if he becomes king, uh, there would be kind of uh, uh, a more momentum to such things. But remember, when we talk about Saudi Arabia, this is basically a Puritan state where you have a religious establishment which adheres to what we call Wahhabi Islam, which is the uh, most ex extreme, I would say, flank of Sunni Islam. He has to deal with them. He has to tame Islam. I'm talking about MBS and he started doing that. Uh, he has to deal with his own family. This is a huge royal family, more than 13,000 princes. And he is the first grandson ever to become a king after what we had in the 20th century. So these are two, uh, I would say, foci where Mohammed bin Salman is trying actually to come up with something that would set the stage and uh, made it uh, much more uh, comfortable for him when he becomes a king. So this is why Saudi Arabia, which is a heavy sheep, a heavy ship. Uh, uh, this is why Saudi Arabia, which is a religious country, wouldn't come to the front when it comes to full-scale normalization. Having said that, what we have to make sure is that there are many bilateral agreements, formally or informally, with Saudi Arabia that are going actually to be, uh, you know, settled in and uh, in kind of a way by which to benefit both states. And I would say that you have not only this technology, this cyber thing, you have some uh, stuff that relates to, let's say, uh, 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 the Red Sea Islands, for example, Tehran and Sanafir, there are things that should be settled here. And if you are coming above or on top of the bilateral scale, you would find this multilateral thing. These would happen in kind of a very, very, I would say, um, calculated way, I, I would say. Well, because the Saudis about, wouldn't yeah. rush into yeah. full normalization. Well, let's talk about MBS, really, because we're dancing around and here. This guy is really just a transformational character. You said he's the first grandson because all the brothers passed it on. Um, he's a captivating character. He's like the next generation of Arab leader. On the one hand, he's the guy who's building the malls and letting women drive and opening the golf courses over there and, and inviting all these international uh, conferences. On the other hand, he's the one who's accused of, you know, ordering the assassination of Khashoggi. Um, how much change do you really see in him? Do you see he's really playing between these different things? Where is his actual heart, or is he just he, stuck between two worlds? I mean, this worlds? guy is being admired, not less than that, by many young Saudis. Saudi Arabia is a state where 65% of the population are under 30 years old. First of all, when it comes to the uh, social media devices, and we are, of course, browsing everything that could... Uh, uh, provide us with more information about the Saudi Pulse when it comes to the Saudi street. I can tell you that this guy is being admired by many young people because 
he came up with some, I would say, new uh, new things that were not seen in Saudi Arabia, were unheard of, like movie theaters, like uh, uh, many, many opportunities when it comes to the job market for young people. And, uh, you know, the bottom line is many are thrilled with what he is doing there. Of course, Hashogji was taken by him as kind of a, you know, kind of an enemy from within. This guy actually has become an American citizen. He was a Saudi journalist. And uh, this is to tell you that uh, this guy, very young, maybe... Uh, ruthless. Not, yep, uh, ruthless, definitely. But maybe not that well experienced. Actually, he, come up with, he came up with a very controversial, so to speak, uh, uh, action. That was to say that uh, the ultra-progressive elements of the Democratic Party and the Biden administration at all, they said, I mean, this guy is uh, not less than a professional murderer. We are not going to sit with him and see what happens. Biden well, is coming to it's sit It's changed, with him. exactly. So, Biden's obviously naturally very focused on Saudi Arabia right now. There's the energy crisis uh, with the war in Ukraine. Um, in many ways, we're talking about him coming to Israel here, but it seems like the more significant chapter to visit is not actually Israel, it's Saudi Arabia. What is, what's Biden heading in there? Well, what let me, let me take the Biden yeah. visit, actually, as kind of an epitome. If I would like to epitomize mm -hmm. the revolution we have in the geopolitical landscape in the Middle East, look at what's happened. American president is coming to the, to the Middle East. More often than not, that was kind of the main story was the Saudi-Palestinian, the Israeli-Palestinian dispute. Well, what he is going to do while visiting Ramallah is just to pay lip service to that. We know that. The whole issue or the elephant in the room is Saudi Arabia. And this is what we are trying actually to say here. Uh, what, what we do see is kind of a side effect of or extension of the Abraham Accords. And the Abraham Accords was no less than a geopolitical revolution by which Israel was normalized by many Arab states. Yes, there is a problem with the Palestinians. Palestinians are a problem with Israel, Israel with Palestinians. The problem is still there, but this is not anymore the elephant of the room. What is going on now is just to tell you that Arab states are devoting themselves to their particular agenda they are not willing to sacrifice actually any other, uh, uh, I would say, big issues uh, at the expense of their uh, of their uh, interests. And I, I I hope that this these all developments, which are kind of a side effect of the Abraham Accords, are going to become kind of a venue by which to better deal with the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. But uh, you know, the whole uh, priorities. Uh, and the set of priorities have been changed here. Uh, and, uh, you know, we should be thrilled about that because Israel uh, is definitely part and parcel of the Middle East, for better, for worse. Oh. We have many problems, but Saudi Arabia could tell you loud and clear Israel is another a legitimate player when it comes to Middle Eastern landscape. We have time for just one more short question, so we'll finish with that. But you're mentioning with Saudi Arabia is so interesting because they are like the kingpin of this whole situation. They're like the main player. So when you look at them now, are they a country that represents the changes going on in the Arab world? Are they a country that's still associated with the 9-11 attackers and all those things? Or are they going 
Is there anything that could disrupt that? Is this inevitable or are there things that are... Listen, I tend to think, and and by the way, they are still very, very uh, are afraid of Iran. They would like actually to get sort of a compromise with Iran, but not at the expense of improving relations with Israel via the Abraham Accords. If I would uh, try actually to come up with the sort of, uh, you know, uh, kind of a bottom of, 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 of uh, 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 the bottom line of our uh, talk, I would say definitely Saudi Arabia is the jewel in the crown, if I may say so, when it comes to the uh, sea uh, or uh, if I've got the deep changes, actually, this region is being witnessing or witnessing. And I hope that this is just uh, kind of a something that after which we can have more of the same when it comes to other states in the region. So definitely, this is kind of uh, a real, real uh, dramatic and very imperative development when it comes to the geopolitical landscape of the Middle East. 2022, I hope that this will become a year for a real change in the Middle East. Well, thank you very much. It was fascinating stuff. Thank really you. great to have you here. Pleasure. And we'll be right back for Game Changer. Break, break, break. Welcome back. It's time for our Game Changer Corner. Today we've got an interesting one for you about how during the COVID-19 pandemic, IAI took their military technologies and transformed them into medical applications. And for that, I'm really pleased to be joined today once again by Elon Bubla, who returns to us, a business development and marketing director at IAI's Elta Systems. Thanks for being back on Defense Matters. Thank you. So let's talk about this. You guys deal with military industries, right? But Mm -hmm. how did Elta get connected to the medical field? Okay, this is actually an amazing story. Back in the 2020, when the March 2020, when the COVID started, uh, Ministry of Health through Ministry of Defense of Israel were seeking for innovative technology uh, somehow, somehow, how to uh, measure uh, people or patient um, uh, physiological uh, health, and they approach us, and they know that we are a radar um, house, and we are considered one of the four radar manufacturers in the world, and um, largest ones. And therefore, what we did is uh, we came up with this technology that we converted the radar technology in such a way that we can measure. Uh, the per- patient uh, vital signs from a distance. Mm-hmm. As you know, today, all the medical equipment in the hospital, when you come to hospital, they have to hook you up and measure you while they connect all those devices to you, thus uh, possibly get infected. And But our technology can measure the person uh, vital signs from a distance. This is a really through... Uh, a new uh, innovation, uh, innovative uh, solution that we have, and that's how we got uh, into the this area of uh, solution. Wow! So you've got radar technology that does remote patient monitoring. What kind of edge does that give you in the medical? Right. So area? till today, uh, as I said, they have a medical device. Uh, lately, came uh, many uh, cameras that you can measure maybe your temperature and some minimal health. Uh, I would say signs. But a camera has a big issue. It's the issue of uh, privacy. I mean, if you take uh, someone's uh, vital signs from far away, you might be uh, breaking his, his privacy and, and some information that you don't want to leak will leak. What we use is the radar technology. Radar is using RF, RF signal. And what we do, we send in a, a small signal towards the patient. And this, patient, this signal, we send it back. And when we send it back, we can actually measure the vital signs very accurately. 
Uh, as people know, we the Iron Dome, the amazing system, the Iron Dome, the radar, the same technology is our radar, is Elta's uh, AI Elta solution. So we use this technology to measure a person w very accurately from a distance without breaking uh, or, or jeopardize the, the privacy of a patient. So this sounds like a real game changer in that field. And I know you've got a product uh, at Delta called Tamar System. What's the current status of that? Yeah. So Tamar is uh, the system that we built is made from the radar and some other sensors. We actually finished a very successful clinical test in three major hospitals in Israel. That means that uh, we were tested by uh, Ministry of Health comparing the Tamar versus the medical equipment that's currently in the hospitals. And amazingly enough, we are accurate, a same accuracy as the medical devices, but we are not connecting the device. We're actually staring person, and by analyzing after a few seconds, we can see his uh, um, pulse, his uh, uh, breathing rate, and uh, other respiration, respiration uh, signs, and get the uh, full uh, scan of the body and give the information if this person has suspicious of uh, illness or not. Fascinating stuff. Thanks. And you can see how military applications get to the medical world. It's Correct. really interesting. Great. Well, thank you very much. And that does it for this episode of Defense Matters. We'll be back in two weeks for our last episode before we go on a summer break. But not to worry. We'll be back in the fall with more of Defense Matters. And until then, I'm Aaron Heller saying goodbye. We'll see you next time on our next episode of Defense Matters.